Hey, good morning and welcome to Central. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for braving the weather and being here in person. And for you smarter people that are staying home watching online, uh, welcome as well. It's good to see you and thanks for joining us. Um, I knew I just couldn't quit. I just had to hand over the baton. My daughter, Sydney, is probably one of the bravest people I know because she's not brave. But out of a sense of responsibility, out of a sense of wanting to be helpful, she'll step into anything. She'll step into... Um... Oh, sorry, is that... Cool. She'll step into anything. She'll, um, she'll step into whatever the need is, no matter how much she hates it, no matter how much she doesn't want to do it, no matter how much it scares her, she'll just walk right in if it's about something bigger than herself. I'll never forget year eight. Uh, she was part. Uh, the, she was not a part of athletics. She hated to run. Hated to run. She's a lot like her father, and she um, she was asked by the by the coach to please join this because she saw uh, the coach saw her run a, a special event thing at school, and they said, "Would you please come and run? We need someone to run the 800 meter race." So she said, "Okay, I'll run the 800 meter race." The the track meet, the athletics competition was the following day. So she came to me after school and said, "Dad." how do you run an 800-meter race? No training. And I said, what do you do? And I said, well, what you got to do is just try not to throw up on the track and, and just go hard. Run fast. Right from the beginning, go run fast. Don't be afraid to pass people early because it's actually not a long race. By the first lap, the first 400 meters, try to be in the top five and then just try to keep up with everybody. And then on the last turn, you run as hard as you can, like it's the last race you will ever run for the rest of your life. And she did. She came in fourth. I couldn't believe it. The coach was like, oh, everyone's cheering her on and yelling. They couldn't believe it. First race ever, no training. She crossed the finish line, ran straight to the back of the pews, and just started throwing up. She just... <laughs> couldn't stop throwing up. I ran back there, and she's like wobbling and pale, and her legs were cramping up. I kind of carried her to the front seat of the, the stadium seats, got her some water, got her some flat coke to kind of give some sugar in her. She could hardly move. We sat at the bottom of the stands because she could not get to the top of the stands where her team was sitting, and we watched the 200-meter uh, race, which went by really fast, and she looked at me, and she goes, I am so glad that it's over. I don't ever want to run again. And at that point, we felt someone standing behind us. And it was her coach. And they're running the 3,200-meter race right now. And she says, look, one of our te uh, teammates feeling too sick. They can't run the, the 4 by one hundred, uh, the 4 by 400 uh, relay race. Would you run? I've never seen it. Would you run? And, and she kind of looks up and goes, I guess. <laughs> I guess. So she looked at me like she's about to cry. And she goes, and I go, you can do this, but you got to want to do this. She goes, no, nah, no. Nah. And she looks up at her friends, and her friends are all waving at her and stuff. And she goes, I guess I'll do it. And she looked at me, and she goes, how do I do this and not look stupid? So I go, okay, there's no time before the race. She's never held a baton before in her life. I can't show her how to do this. I said, look, all you can do is just go hard, don't quit, and don't drop the baton. Whatever you do, don't drop the baton. So the race came up. She was the third runner, and they came in third, third place. Uh, they're cheering, and, I, and she comes in. Everyone's cheering, and I come, and she's, like, feeling sick and wobbly, and I kind of hold her up. And, and she goes, I go, how did you do that? And she said, I could hear everybody cheering. I kept saying to myself, don't stop. People are watching. Don't stop. Don't look stupid. Don't stop. 
hand over the baton. People are watching. Don't stop. And that's what today's passage is all about. Hebrews says in this passage on the beginning of chapter 12, we're all in a race. Whether you know it or not, we're all in a race. And you've just been handed the baton. You've just been handed the baton, and everyone is cheering, and it is your turn to run. So don't quit. Don't quit, he writes. Don't quit. We're talking about how to run the race of faith today and how to run it to win. And now, throughout this series, um, I'm kind of missing a slide here, I think. That's right, I'll keep going. So throughout this series, we've seen how the author has been addressing uh, Christians all the way back in the first century. These Christians started strong, right? They started strong. I mean, they loved Jesus. They loved everything that had to do with Jesus. And they started with so much enthusiasm about who Jesus was and how to be in Jesus and how to live life his way. And now they're just tired. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for his return. And they're losing hope. And they're being persecuted. And it's not turning out to be as glorious and wonderful and joyful and hopeful as they thought it would. And they're thinking about quitting. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes, don't give up. And his strategy to help them do that, remember, has been to remind them of stories, stories of heroes of faith who came before them, reminding them that they also had tough times. Abraham and Sarah and Moses and and David and Daniel and Gideon, all the others, says, remember these people, think of these people. He's been telling their stories. And now at the end of all these stories, he kind of wraps it up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it's the big, big finish. And this is what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Anybody tired? Anybody just kind of feeling weary, kind of just losing heart? I mean, there's definitely been a time that I have grown so weary and lost so much of my heart. I just didn't care anymore. Life throws curveballs. You take hits. And, and, and it was nothing like what I ever hoped and prayed life would be like. And so you give up. No joy, no hope. You're, you're, you try to look okay on the outside. You try to look strong on the outside. But inside, you're dead. You're just dead. And I literally just didn't care anymore. So why does that happen? Why do we grow weary? See, I think it's a pretty universal human condition. Why do we feel that way? Well, let's go back to that slide again. And let's go back to that verse, that phrase, let us run with perseverance the race. It's that word, the race. See, life is a race. It's a marathon, actually. And marathons are difficult, so I've been told, because <laughs> I've watched documentaries. In fact, um, the original Greek word for race is the word agon. Agon. Take a guess. What word we get from that Greek word, agon? Agony. Agony. 
the race of faith and all the great stuff that comes with being a person of faith, where there's joy and there's hope and living a life of faith, can also be tough, can also be hard, can, can be agonizing. I mean, Hamilton is great and everything, but it's not heaven, right? It's not heaven. There'll be times when you hit the wall in your race and you begin to doubt yourself. You begin to doubt God. You begin to doubt your faith. And you start to think things like, I hate life. I, I hate my job. I hate my marriage. I want, I want to quit that job. I want to quit that marriage. I want to quit life. And you begin to say things like, this Christianity thing is just not what it's cracked up to be. It's not providing what it promised. The church and the praying and the sermons and the worship singing, it's making no difference. What's funny is people who are going through this rarely say, reading the Bible makes, doesn't help at all because they actually stopped that a long time before they started thinking they want to quit. And this disconnect happens. So just like the original readers of the book of Hebrews in the Bible, how do, you, how do we endure? How do we learn to keep on keeping on through the agony? Well, let's go back to those verses again, and let's kind of look at the coaching they give us as runners. They give us coaching on how to finish the race, how to run the race to win. Because 20 centuries later, after all those Hebrew Christians were thinking of quitting, we're still here today. There's a church right here in Hamilton, 20 centuries later. See, somehow they didn't quit, and that's why we're here now. That the followers of Jesus are, are still growing. They're still spreading all over the world. And, and these words that we're about to read seem to help, seem to inspire them, seem to help them continue for 20 centuries of Christians who have been persecuted and probably all considered quitting as well. But they didn't. So I think these ideas work. So let's look at these ideas that we get, this coaching we get from Hebrews chapter 12, first couple of verses. And the number one is run encouraged. Be encouraged. Run encouraged. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, this word that the uh, author uses, this image, cloud, it's the Greek word that meant a crowd of spectators in an arena. See, when the New Testament was written, uh, pretty much throughout the entire known world, the dominant popular entertainment was sports. It was sports. And all the cities had these large stadiums, sorry, large stadiums, and, and they had huge sports stadiums. The largest ones could sit 250,000 people, all right, bigger than any stadium we have on the planet now. So the writer is saying, imagine that stadium filled filled to the top, and, and you're running the race, and the crowd is going crazy, and they are cheering, and they're cheering for you, all right? Now, think about it. Here's our stadium. Think about our stadium, our FMJ stadium, and ever been there when it just rocked, when it rocked with cheering, all right? Big game, and, and you, it, you felt the screaming and the cheering and the stomping in your chest, right? Nothing like it. The whole crowd cheering on. Now, imagine that happening, but you're in the middle of that field. And they're cheering for you. And you look up at the stands. See, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You look up in the stands and you notice that the people are cheering for you. They are the heroes of faith that we have read about all through Hebrews 11. You look up and there's Abraham and there's Sarah. Actually, they're sitting together. There's Abraham and there's Sarah and there's David and there's Daniel. And, and, and they're people that have been a part of your life and have died and moved on to heaven. 
You look at there's your parents and maybe some siblings and maybe a child that has died before you. See, we don't run this race alone. We don't do this by ourselves. Not only do we do it together as a community, we have people in heaven cheering us on. There's a crowd of witnesses in heaven cheering for you and your life of faith. And if you trip up and drop the baton, nobody boos. Nobody whispers and points at you. Nobody rolls their eyes. Because this great cloud of witnesses that we've been looking at all through Hebrews 11, they know what it means to fail. Think about who's there. Abraham and Sarah and Moses and and David and Rahab and Samson, all up in the stands. They know what it looks like to mess up. They know what it's like to trip up, to fail, and they know what it's like to experience the grace of God after a failure. So maybe you have messed up. Maybe you have failed in something. You fell off the wagon and, and, and off of a, of a time of sobriety. Maybe you've clicked that porn site again and then again. Maybe you behaved immorally. Maybe your marriage has ended. Maybe for a, just a moment, you've lost your faith for a bit or ignored it for a time. But now you're coming back to faith. And you're saying, this is no good. I want Jesus. I want to be like him. But then you wonder, but will I be welcomed? Will I be welcomed back into God's arms? Will I be welcomed back to a church? And the people in the stands, the people from the pages of the Bible that we've been reading about, they're like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? You want to know if you'd be welcome? Well, I'm here. Look, if I'm here, anybody can be here. They're saying, that's our story too. So get up. Pick up the bat and don't quit. Keep on running. See, all through Scripture, what we read is, it doesn't matter if you fail. It doesn't matter if you mess up. What matters if you, is if you continue the race. Now, you might have to face some consequences because of a trip up. You may have to mend and redeem some relationships because of a trip up. You might have to forgive yourself, which often is the hardest. And forgive yourself the way Jesus Christ has already forgiven you. But don't give up. There's a crowd in that stand, and they're, they're cheering you on. They get it. They've tripped up before, too. And they got up, and they kept on running. They finished the race, and now they're cheering you on. So run encouraged. And then the coach in Hebrews 12 says, now also run light. Run light. It goes, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I use Google to help prepare for these kind of talks. And in Googling, running light, running heavy, carrying baggage when you run, I came across a story about a guy named Lloyd Scott. And he ran the London Marathon wearing a 55-kilogram antique rubber 1940s diving suit, complete with the copper helmet and the lead-lined boots. All right? This is him. This is him running the marathon right here. Right? Now, he did it to inspire people to not quit when they feel the weight of life coming down on them. Right? That's why he did it. And he finished the London Marathon. Want to hear his time? Five days, <laughs> eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. All right? Now, I think that's a great image 
for the way a lot of us feel when it comes to living a life of faith. This is what it can feel like a lot of times in running the race of faith. Weighed down by expectations, by responsibility, by shame, by guilt, by secrets. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look, if you really want to make progress, you got to get rid of a couple of things first. You got to take off and drop some of the baggage. Every weight, all the baggage, he's saying, get rid of it. And it doesn't have to be something that you've done that is wrong, right? It doesn't have to be a sin. It's whatever holds you back. Whatever holds you back and is weighing you down. Maybe worry weighs you down. Worry about health or about finances or worrying about the kids. Maybe it's all the negative input that we, we let in because of news and media and it's creating a fear that is holding you back and stepping into this new, you know, unregulated COVID world. Maybe it's diversions. Too much Netflix, too much Amazon Prime, too much social media time where you don't even look up and pay attention to your spouse. You're just online all the time. Taking away from time from kids and family and time with God. Maybe you just work too much. Whatever it is, we're being reminded here, let it go. Just let it go. Don't run in a diving suit, Hebrews is saying. That's why you're not making any progress. And then it goes on about this phrase, and the sin, the sin that easily entangles, all right? Ominous statement, right? Ominous. See how the, the author uses the sin, not any sin. What is the specific sin that is most likely to entangle you? What is the thing that most easily, easily and most frequently trips you up, takes you off the path, makes you fail, makes you fall? And the reality is you already know what it is. We already all know what it is for each one of us. Quietly right now in your own head, name it. Just name it. Acknowledge it and name it. That's got to go. He was just saying that has just got to go. Even if everybody else is doing it, it's got to go. And it's never too late. It is never too late to let it go. doesn't matter how long you've been doing this, how many times you've blown it and tripped up in your faith, faith race, he was saying the faith race is not over. The race isn't over. Who cares how much you might have messed up in the first couple of laps? Because God sure doesn't care. We seem to keep track of how many times we trip up, and we don't keep track of how many people actually finish the race in a way that honors God and points to Jesus. What matters is not what you did in the past. What matters is how are you going to finish? That's what it means to run to win. It means don't quit. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do from here on out, from today onward? How, and, and how? How do you do that? Because it's quite easy to read that phrase, you know, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's, you kind of expect that to be in the Bible. You kind of expect that to be said by a pastor in a kind of a sermon. But how do you do that successfully? How do you actually make that work? Because the reality is there's a reason why we sin. It's called fun. We, we sin for a season because it's fun. Scripture tells us this. It brings pleasure. It helps us forget. It's a, it's a diversion from the hard stuff of life. It just feels good. But that feeling always ends. 
for all of us. And when it's over, it leaves us. And it leaves us beaten up and bitter or ashamed or hurt or embarrassed. It, it actually destroys us every time. And Scripture reminds us sin will always find us out. So if you want to do that, if you want to turn from sin, it's not guilt that makes it happen. It's not some preacher pounding on a podium, repent, repent. And it doesn't, that doesn't work. That never works. You need to have something more attractive to turn to to replace it. If you're turning away from something, you need to have something more attractive to which you will run towards instead of. And that's the point, the third point of this passage in Hebrews 12, and that is run focused. Run focused. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author and perfecter of faith. This is talking about remember who Jesus is, who Jesus was, how he lived, how Jesus died, how he rose again. Do you know him? Do you know my king? See, that's what that's about. See, as the author and perfecter of our faith, he suffered and he died on a cross for us. And while he hung there and while he did that, he did it blessing us not cursing us, not condemning us, but instead he did it as a way to love his enemies. And he forgave those who were nailing him on the cross. Fix your eyes on Jesus. See, I'd be happy if you don't remember a single thing I ever say from up here, ever, ever again, if you never forget that one phrase. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because remembering that in the midst of whatever you're going through, the long uphill race that you are facing with health or relationships or doubt or worry or anxiety, this changes everything when you live a life fixed on Jesus. Because this is what it practically means. What it practically means is this. Don't place your faith in Christianity. Don't place your faith in a church. Don't place your faith in a pastor. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a distinction that we can never forget and never mess up. And, and I think it's exactly, I think, I think it's exactly what Hebrew is trying to say to us, to people who are ready to bail and ready to quit on their faith. See, a lot of people say, man, I just lost my faith. I gave up on the whole church thing. It's, it's never, never about Jesus. They've lost their faith in a church or they lost their faith in some church people, or they lost their faith in a certain pastor, or they lost their uh, faith in someone who let them down, who was supposed to be doing that in the name of Jesus. Please, your faith can never be based on this church, never based on this church. You know, if look, if our church would just do this or that, then and we could get back to the way we used to, it can't be based on that. It can never be based on me, Look, if you would just preach or do or, or change this or that, it would be, no. It can never be based on our pastoral staff team. If, if, they would, if they would just sing this or that, or if they would just visit him or her, or they would just teach our young people this or that, wrong conversation. It can never be based. Your faith can never be based on our elders. If they would just write a policy about, no. Our faith can't be placed in Christianity. Never in Christianity in general. It can only be in Christ. Only be in Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
See, our Christian life is not about performance. It's, it's not about responsibility. It's not about perfectionism. It's not about rules. It's not about the rules of the must-dos and the must-never-don'ts and don'ts-ever-dos. And It's not that. Because those rules, they never produce peace. They never produce a more loving, joyful, kind, peaceful, gentle, holy group of people. Rules never do that. What does produce and what rules like that do produce, they produce annoying people and judgmental people and depressed and self-absorbed and unhappy and, and embarrassing people. Now, avoiding a life of sin is not bad. It's a good thing. Creating good habits like reading your Bible and prayer and serving others and generosity, all good things. See, the problem is the focus. Hebrews is talking about it's what you focus on. If you focus on being good, what you're going to focus on is on yourself and on your performance. And if you focus on resisting sin, you're actually going to be focused on sin and on that sin itself. Like if you ever tried to lose weight by constantly chanting, I will not eat chocolate, I will not eat chocolate, I will not eat chocolate. I have never thought about chocolate so much in my life. Because I am on this diet. I mean, you put a family share pack of M&Ms in front of me, and it's gone, right? <laughs> See, the key is to have something more attractive to turn to. So how do you do it? How do you, how do you turn from sin and bad habits? You keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the answer. Jesus is saying, sit with me. Spend time with me. Keep your eyes on me, Jesus is saying. How do you manage anxiety and, uh, during very troubled times? You keep your eyes on Jesus. How do you keep your integrity during those tempting moments in life? You keep your eyes on Jesus. How do you know how to act in those kind of heated, argumentative, and angry times? Spoiler alert, you keep your eyes on Jesus. See, we're dealing with the world and with this war going on and all the talk about weapons of mass destruction, I think one of the conversations we need to have is how do we constantly deal with weapons of mass distraction? Because I think that's what's hurting us. From the outside, culture and politics and entertainment, and from the insights, all kinds of these weird different Christian fads and teachings. We're supposed to just simply keep our eyes on Jesus because there's nothing more beautiful than Jesus. There's nothing more relevant than Jesus. There's nothing more hopeful than Jesus. There's nothing greater than Jesus Christ. He can never be another better example of what it means to live than to live like Jesus. No one and nothing else can save whatever you're dealing with except for Jesus. And that's why the Christian, Christian message it's not one about self-motivation and, and guilt-casting uh, catalysts to make changes in your life. No, it's not about trying harder. We get this so wrong. They were supposed to run harder, do more, pray longer, read more. No, it's not what it's about. The Christian message is trust Jesus. Because the more you fix your eyes on Jesus, the easier it is to lay aside every weight that is holding you back. You won't even care about them anymore. You won't even think about them anymore. We stay focused on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart.
See, Jesus knew what the end game was. He knew he would be in his Father's glory. And that same joy is set before each and every one of us, every single one of us. One day, you will be with him. Yesterday, the pain of losing Joan and, and the stories of loss of sadness was also stories of celebration because she is with Jesus in glory in heaven right now. One day you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and all the trouble and all the worries and all the sin and all the disease and all the grief and all the pain is going to be gone, blown away by the sheer joy of being present with Jesus in heaven. And now you'll be sitting in those stands, and you'll be included as another one of those heroes of faith, and you're going to be cheering on the people that are now running the race that you used to run. See, walking in faith, it's not an easy life. That's a pitch we do to try and grow churches. But it's not easy. It's rewarding. It's, one, it's the most rewarding life. But it's rewarding when we keep our eyes on Jesus. And we keep running and we don't quit because we keep our eyes on Jesus. And therefore, each and every one of us have to ask, what's the next step? What's that next step in our faith race that we need to take? Is it time to go public with your faith and be baptized and be public with us as we support you and bring friends to come and hear about why you want to live for Jesus and to act out, my old life has died, my new life is now alive in Christ? Is it time to do that? Is it time to pick up the Bible again? Just start, I'm going to stop being distracted, and it's time for me to learn to listen to his voice again. Is it time to walk beside someone else and be a mentor and a help and help children or, or young adults or teenagers or peers and just walk with them as they learn to follow Jesus? Is it time to just stop and stop with all the distraction that so easily entangles us and just let go and start running again? Pick up the baton and keep running again. What's your next step? Let's pray. If there's people here today that have, have never decided to actually run that race with Jesus before, and, and you've been kind of listening, and you've been checking it out, and you've been following these stories, and you're like, I'm, I'm actually ready to pick up a baton. I'm willing to trust Jesus with my life. I'm willing to make him Lord and leader and Savior of my life. I don't really get it. I don't, I don't really know exactly what it means, but I know I want him in my life, centered in my life. I just want you to pray with me now, quietly. It's between you and God. Just use my words as a prompt. Lord Jesus, I see that you love me. I see the extent that you've gone to save me and to love me and to show me that I am valued and loved by God. And I give you my life. Please take all the distractions and the sins and all the stuff that has entailed my life. I drop that at your feet. And I run free and light and focused on you. I give my life to you today. And I ask you to take me and make me the person you want me to be. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for welcoming, welcoming me into your family. 
and for those of us here that have been doing this Christianity thing for a while, maybe it's time to just stop and, and say, God, am I on, on the am I on the right track? Am I still focused on you? Am I still running and I haven't quit? I'm still hanging on the baton. I'm ready to hand it to somebody. I want to run along beside somebody. And I've thought about quitting, but I'm deciding now to not quit. For those people, pray along with me now. God, give me strength. Thank you for your love and your understanding and your patience with me. I am sorry for times that I've tripped up, but I haven't quit. And I continue to give my life to you, step after step after step. Holy Spirit, help me to stay focused on Jesus. Help me to put practices and time and margin into my life so I can stay focused on Jesus. Because I choose now to continue to run, to no longer quit, and to do it all focused on you, Jesus. So God, help us to be a group of people who love each other, love others, and love you, Jesus. Help us be people who will keep our eyes focused on you to not be distracted, but to be and do what you ask us to be and do in a way that helps other people fix their eyes on you as well. Not on us, not on bells and whistles, not on false promises, but on you, Jesus, and on your grace, and on your forgiveness, and on your presence in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.